lying in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot and a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars scans. Wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish the help is like, it's like, I wish, I wish. Hello, cats and kittens, and welcome back to another episode of The Debrief. I am your host, Brianna Joy Gray, coming to you a day later than typically scheduled because I did something I've been dreaming about for many, many years. At my big age, I have finally unlocked Achievement Adult. Yes, I, Brianna Joy Gray, am finally in a one-bedroom apartment. Where's my applause button? <laughs> I can't even find it because I'm so discombobulated. But guys, guys, I'm excited. I'm excited for my life developments. I'm excited for the show today because I know you guys had a lot of thoughts and feelings about this episode. And so far, it's a, put a really fine point on a question we've been talking about a lot on this show and on Bad Faith, which is how much of the left continue to participate in and invest in electoral politics. I see the queue is long. I want to hear from you. Let's start, though, as per usual. Let's orient some folks who might not have listened to today's episode by playing a short clip from my interview with Morgan Harper. Morgan is a 38-year-old attorney who uh, was previously run uh, for a seat in the House in Ohio and is now running for Senate. Ostensibly, her uh, opponent is going to be Josh Mandel, this self-styled Trump Republican who keeps saying outrageous things in an effort to get Trump's endorsement, things like, I do not believe there is a separation between church and state. In fact, I think the founding fathers don't believe in a separation between church and state, a thing that is making Ouija boards all over the country spin out of control as founding fathers raise their hand in objection. Anyway, Morgan comported herself very beautifully in that debate, but that is not actually the final matchup. As we all know, she has to win the Democratic Party primary first, and she is up against Tim Ryan, who undoubtedly is the establishment favorite in this race. And many smart minds agree that Tim Ryan, who is very much an establishment politician, is going to have a hard time going up against even the most vapid of a self-styled kind of populist outsider um, candidate. So let's play this brief clip and then let's get right into it. you saying that you think that part of the issue with the you know the democratic party is that we do have people like nancy pelosi who have (laughs) sorry my bad here we go when you look around at at congress are you saying that you think that part of the issue with the you know the democratic party is that we do have People like Nancy Pelosi, who have become career politicians and have really become lightning rods, not just for conservative attacks, but among Democrats. Um, you know, I think it, the poll, last poll that I saw from probably a year or so ago, showed I think that uh, 75% of Americans thought that Nancy Pelosi should, should step down. Well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, one of the most common questions I get during this campaign 
did not get it always during the last campaign, but one of the most common questions during this campaign is, what makes you a different kind of Democrat? Because I am mm. over Democrats. Democrats shipped mm. our jobs overseas. Democrats don't know how to manage our cities. Democrats show up and ask for our votes and we never hear from them again. What has a Democrat done for me lately? So that is the barrier that I have to overcome to even have a discussion with somebody about policy, right? Mm -hmm. And and what I'm usually pointing to is, you know, it is things like I'm not taking corporate PAC money, that I am going to self-impose term limits. But the third thing that I, I would add and that I do think distinguishes me from a lot of people is I've already been to Washington. I don't need to get to the United States Senate or to Congress to have the cherry on top of a career or to get exposed to what that place is. I know exactly what it is. And that's why mm -hmm. I left it to be able mm -hmm. to get here, to organize, to get better representation, because that's the only way anything's going to change. That's the only way that that place is actually going to work for us. And then people are like, all right, maybe I'll keep listening to what you have to say. So I do think the careerist mindset is a huge problem. And, and what I believe even more traditional Democrats are understanding in this race and in this moment, and this is both in Ohio, probably nationally, is that our greatest risk is not that people are going to maybe not vote for a Democrat and then go vote for a Republican. It is that they are not going to vote at all. Mm -hmm. And that is not just people that, you know, folks like to label as, oh, they, they don't have the best education or whatever. No, this mm -hmm. is people who I would argue that even people with more limited education actually know better than anybody about what's going on. But mm -hmm. this is also people who maybe are in the suburbs, for example, and are just over it. That mm -hmm. is our risk. That's what has to be overcome. And nobody like my opponent is going to be able to get people to believe or care. It's not possible because I don't even buy it. All right. That's Morgan Harper. Max, what do you think? Lay it on me. Hey, Brianna, can you hear me? Loud and clear. What's in your mind tonight, Max? Um, congratulations on the bedroom, the one-bedroom apartment. Thank um, you. Max, I got to tell you. I was making my bed today and I could stand on either side of my bed because neither side is abutting a wall. And as I oh, flung the sheets into the air and brought them down over the bed, I truly felt like a Disney princess. <laughs> yeah. They need to um, include that in the next uh, Disney princess film. Um, <laughs> I had a, I had a, a question for you that was more so relating to last week's topic. If that's okay. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, um, Last week, you were talking about uh, censorship and Joe Rogan, and uh, the conversation kind of shifted a lot to race and mm -hmm. CRT and stuff like that. And um, uh, there, it seems like there's this kind of depiction of, the, of CRT uh, among even certain people on the left, but especially on the right, that it's, a, it's all about uh, – <clears throat> it's all about feeling guilty for being white and – and dividing people based on uh, their race. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I think is, you know, pretty misleading about that idea is that when I read about CRT, I read some kind of um, some, some uh, peer-reviewed study on it or paper. They, the claims that they made were that racism is ordinary and not aberrational. So basically it's normal to have individually racist feelings and it's not like mm -hmm. some sort of, you know, uh, rare disease of the of the individual's mind mm -hmm. that race is socially constructed mm -hmm. which in my mind means that uh race actually means nothing other than what societies have made it mean to distinguish between and marginalize populations um and the notion that uh whites white people and um black people or any people of color 
have been recipients of civil rights legislation, which, again, in my opinion, is is more uniting because that that basically means that uh, legislation, which quote unquote is for black for black people, um, means nothing because uh, it's it's actually true that our problems are often the same because we're not actually distinguished by race. Um, and I guess that's like a segue into my question for you. Uh, since since that last episode came out, Joe Rogan, that like tape of uh, of him saying the N-word like 20 mm-hmm. times or something like that has released. And it's been being used a lot um, by lots of um, people on the liberal left or the Democratic Party left to uh, call him a racist and things like that. And I have a, uh, an interesting opinion that people might get mad at, but I kind of don't believe that words matter until they're turned into actions so if you use a slur like the n-word or any other racial slur in a way that's degrading and with the intention of um you know hurting someone i think that that's a huge problem uh but once but i think that the problem that we run into when you make a word itself inherently evil despite the context is that you allow people with perhaps bad intentions to uh, use that word as a way to kind of um, divide and conquer and smear and smear people that may have used it in the past or whatever. And I guess the thing, the thing about it is that I don't really think that any word is inherently evil. Like when I was in high school, I went to a high school with a lot of um, Asian kids and Mexican kids and, and some black kids. And I was in groups of kids where everyone would be calling each other racial slurs, but no one was getting mad about it. And, and it was more out of uh, like jokes or to have fun with each other than to degrade anyone. And in that context, I don't think it, you know, I don't think that it hurt was hurting anyone. So I was wondering, do you think that any words are inherently evil like that? Or do you think, or do you kind of agree with me that, um, that it's a problem that were that racial slurs or certain words are attributed as being inherently evil? And then wielded by uh, powerful people to maybe smear someone. Well, Max, I'd just like to say for the record that I really tried this week to get back to substantive discourse after a week of Joe Rogan. And uh, I can't be blamed for if this uh, podcast episode ends up being inward discourse. I did my best. No one can call me a shock jock or that I go to the lowest common pop culture denominator and that I'm not movement focused. I would just like the record to reflect <laughs> that I interviewed a congressional candidate and did my darnness this week, but okay, Max, let's do it. Let's do inward discourse. Sorry to derail your, um, no, no, not at all. This week. Can I ask you, can I tell you, Max, am I, do you hear reverb or is that just me? Am I, um, I don't hear reverb. Okay, good. Then I'll ignore it. Um, so I think that you're, you're asking me if I think any word is inherently evil, but I think that's besides the point. I think ask, asking it in that way, if I, if I agree, no, because it's an, an exaggerated question, you know, do I think that punching your friend in the face is inherently evil and makes you condemnable and, and, and you have to be banished from society? No, but that's not an excuse to punch your friend in the face, like no punching. So I, I don't really care if the N-word is inherently evil. I mean, the real question we're asking is, what should be the consequences for a person who uses that word? How should we judge people's past behavior? Is there um, rehabilitation or exoneration or penance or things like that that we should um, consider when people have used it in the past? 
you know, are there different contexts in which punching your friend in the face or saying in the N-word is more or less con- contemptible than others? And I think you know the answer to those questions. And I think that you describe them aptly in your account of how you've heard it used in your personal life and in friend groups of people who I presume are of those groups who in their close-knit social circle decided it was fine for them all to do it. Now, I don't know what social circle you were, you were in, Max, but if you were in a social circle with me, there's not a real place for anybody who's not black to say the N-word. And I have many friends of many different races who have racial epithets attributed to their groups. And no matter how close we are as friends, I also am not using those words. So that's that. If to your, your broader point, which you didn't really ask a question about, which is to what extent should we change our perception of Joe Rogan based on these tapes? My view is not at all because everyone who listens to Joe Rogan knows exactly who Joe Rogan is and what he says. Everyone who's mad about these inward tapes never listened to Joe Rogan to begin with and hated his guts. And exactly zero people on the planet Earth are have had their minds changed or affected by this quote-unquote revelation. There are many people, I, and, I, and I've seen many tweets that suggest that everybody who listens to Joe Rogan is white and the white people excusing Joe Rogan. I'm sorry, that's not been my experience. The, the, the main dividing line I've observed in my life between people who listen to Joe Rogan and don't is that they skew male and they skew more working class. I have said this before, and I know that my examples are limited because I am in my elite bubble and I fully admit this. But last time I was hanging out with some non-elites was when I was home visiting family and a cousin who is a truck driver was talking to me about how he listens to my podcast. And I never met this guy before because he's, you know, extended family. He listens to my podcast and he listens to Joe Rogan. And I assure you that he is black. So I, 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 there are, I'm not saying it's, I'm not doing a, you know, God bless him, Andrew Yang and saying he has black friends. And so it's okay. He has black listeners. So it's okay. It's not that it's okay. But I am just putting the question back to you, Max. What is the purpose that's being served by this this media cycle around this particular issue? And it absolutely has nothing to do with whether or not Joe Rogan is or is not a redeeming character. Because, again, zero people's thoughts and feelings on this matter are affected by this most recent revelation. Yeah, yeah. I, I Yeah, I totally agree that um... – That's a great question to ask is what is the purpose of this kind of media cycle of Joe Rogan? Because it seems to me that the um, demonization uh, and not that they shouldn't be demonized or, uh, you know, in any way, like obviously you said, if the uh, social norms within certain groups are to not uh, use those words, um, then that's fine. But I think that to act as though there are no groups, uh, no groups of friends, like, Another another example is I have a is I have an uncle that works in construction and that um, a lot of his buddies are like Mexican and Asian and stuff and they'll be calling each other names like that all the time and it's never in bad blood um, so I I guess my point wasn't that um, you know that it's okay to use those words but rather uh, I think that the idea that there's no context in which um, someone using them doesn't mean that they're like racist deplorables. Uh, kind of creates this uh, ability to weaponize the words. And um, I think that's what happened with Joe Rogan. Like you said, I think that the purpose of the cycle was... I'm pushing back a little bit against this because it does feel a little... Like, I I hear what you're saying, and I agree with how this media cycle is just trying to... They're moving the goalpost, right? 
it was, uh, you know, we don't like who Joe Rogan speaks to. There's some, you know, indication that he speaks to all different kinds of people. And there's been some validation, not all, but some validation on some of the things that he said from a scientific perspective on the COVID stuff. So the goalpost gets moved. And now it's not a free speech issue. It's not a COVID issue. It's this inward issue because it seems like a clear, bright line and everyone can be mad at the inward. So I agree with you. It's obviously being politicized and it's not really about Rogan. At the same time, I don't want to exculpate Rogan who ultimately did choose to use the word in the first instance many, many times, sometimes, you know, in telling a story about something in a way that one would might argue is like, like quoting somebody else and other times in ways that feel gratuitous or like he's trying to get away with something. And you can feel like how you want to feel about it. And again, it's not that it's necessarily the worst thing in the world. Right. I, I there's a tweet that I have out there that people try to throw in my face. Um, uh, people try to call me racist over, which I always find to be extremely hilarious because nine out of ten times they are not black, <laughs> calling me anti-black. Um, where I was making a point about uh, economic persecution, or you know, and the you know liberals. I was what, the point I was making was that liberals love to say, you know, you know, poor people of color can't be racist because racism requires power, and I think that racism does require power, but sometimes different groups of people of color have power over other kinds of groups of people of color and therefore can't be racist. Right. And it's power is context dependent. However, the point was that very people who say racism equals power plus plus privilege or whatever, um, will deny economics as part of that power dynamic. Right. And so we'll ignore all of the ways in which the effects of racism are pernicious because the people who are doing the racist things also have the power or having the racist beliefs also have the power to, deny you housing, fire you from your job, all of the things that actually affect your life, right? And I made the point that, like, if I had power, if black people had systemic power in this country, I could give a damn if you call me the N-word. And I, and I wrote, I use the word because I am black and I can do what I want. <laughs> and a bunch of people <laughs> on the internet, like, try to throw that in my face. Like, oh, Brianna used the N-word. I'm like, who are you, bam? <laughs> like, so so I, I get what you're saying and I get what's happening. But at the end of the day, Joe Rogan and I are not similarly situated here. And if I were demonstratively, gratuitously using another kind of pejorative for another group, I think it would be well within my rights to be called to the carpet on it. Ultimately, while I am frustrated with how this this is being framed by the media, and I think it's all like cloak and daggers and goalpost moving Joe Rogan also has to own the fact that he made choices in his past to and that he has to stand by them and he opened himself up to be attacked in this way and he kind of has to stand by those choices too totally I I totally agree I think we're in pretty much complete agreement I just I think I'm leaning into one side of the issue a little more than you and same uh vice versa but um yeah, thank, thanks so much for answering my question, Brianna. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. It. Thanks for calling in, Matt. Derail the uh, conversation. No, 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 not at all. Every look, everybody, topic. you open the door to inward discourse that everybody wanted opens. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> God, God bless you, sir. You're doing the Lord's work. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Brianna. Thanks so much, and thanks yeah, for having this uh, Colin's face. It's great. Of course, thank you, Max. All right, Kusha, returning to the pod. How are you doing tonight? I'm actually doing very well, Brianna. Thank you so much for having me uh, as I return to the pod, as you put it. (laughs) What's on your mind? Thank you very much. Um, So on my mind is, um, as you mentioned about uh, Morgan Harper Mm -hmm. and her campaign for Congress. And from what I've seen from her, granted, much of it's been from your work. So thank you for that. 
Um, I think she has some promise, uh, specifically what you said, uh, what she says in that clip you played at the beginning, that the careerist mindset is a huge problem. And uh, from what I've seen from her, there are two things I'd like to have you reflect on, if that's all right, from what okay. I've seen from Morgan Harper's output. Thank you for saying okay. And so the first is what she put out on a tweet on January 3rd, uh, 2020, which is around the day. Uh, it's a very eventful day in modern U.S. history. It's the day around which Trump assassinated uh, Qasem Soleimani, general of the Islamic Republic of Iran. And that was the day when Morgan Harper put out a tweet about how when she was in college, she saw how comfortable the liberal establishment was with these continued ill-advised wars like Bush and Cheney's big lie war in Iraq about weapons of mass destruction. And of course, the timing is very fitting because as we know from Trump and what was said um, by Matt Gates and um, Tucker Carlson to dissuade him essentially from or kind of admonish him among themselves for why you did that. And Trump said, I had to save my hide so I wouldn't get convicted in the Senate from the Republicans during his first go around with impeachments. Uh, we know that there was an effort to save his hide. And I think that when Harper says a statement like that, I haven't seen too many foreign policy statements from her about specific countries, at least. But this is a very promising statement. And I think it very much goes to what I saw from a human rights lawyer named Gisu Nia. And she was saying that, quote, Soleimani was, a, Soleimani was a war criminal. I wish we saw him in the defendant's dock answering for his crimes against Syrians, Yemenis, Iraqis, Iranians, terrorized by the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps and so many others. The world failed his victims. I hope that won't always be the case tonight. I'm thinking of them first and foremost, end quote. And so I'd really like to know your thoughts on how much you think someone like a Harper should be incorporating these notions of war and of peace, the war budget, militarism, and so on into their campaigns. Of course, they need to be elected domestically, but they have someone like Morgan Harper, if she's able to gain power, has so much say in the international order uh, in, in global affairs. And that's what I'd really like to know your take on how much that should be involved in, because we know that the U.S. has the largest military in the world and the largest war well, Kusha, budget. Kusha, it sounds a little like you don't, you, you have a take and you just, you told us your take and I agree with your take and I, I appreciate it, but <laughs> I, I don't know that you're really looking for me to weigh in here. I mean, she's a senator. Uh, obviously, I think that she should have fully formed opinions about matters of war and peace and that she should be open about what those are in the context of her run and have some demonstrated record of what, what her feelings are, you know, so we don't just have to trust what she says on the stump. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, mm-hmm. I applaud you for digging that up and finding that she has, you know, articulated said record. And mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that seems to be consistent with the progressive values. Mm-hmm. I guess what I would ask you if I could mm-hmm. is sure. what your impressions were of the interview on bad faith, because you said that you said that she thought she was promising do you have, to the question of the day, the question, the topic of this episode, mm-hmm. do you have concerns about participating or investing in a kind of electoral measure like this, given the disappointment that we've had from folks uh, in, the, in the squad and in squad adjacent? Well, that's very kind and thoughtful of you to flip the question back on me. And of course, I'd be happy to answer in terms of my opinion. I think that Um, I very much approach the way as I think you probably do, that there needs to be certain litmus tests met before I extend any support to any such person. Uh, Today, Mm. I had the great fortune of speaking with Marion Williamson on Mm. Kate Alper's program, a good friend Mm. of yours. And I was very impressed with her answer on war when I asked Mm. her outright expressly expressly, if Mm. she would commit 
to ending the drone program if she is to become president, like if she pursues and so on, and she has four years. Is yeah. that something she commits to expressly putting in a stop to? Because what we know from Sanders that you were involved in this campaign, press secretary and so on, I wasn't falling too much in 2015, but I found it later, looking back on in recency, that he said that, yes, the drone program is very counterproductive and ill-advised in many cases and many women and kids killed, but he says he's open to using it. That's what he said then. I don't know what his stance is now. I assume it's probably mm-hmm. the same. But he's open to using it like in, you know, for the top honchos of terrorists, like like the al-Baghdadi people, ISIS leaders and, and al-Qaeda leaders and Jaysh al-Islam leaders, as long as it's kind of like surgical. He didn't say that word, surgical, or maybe he has on a different occasion. But I don't like that answer because we know what happened in Syria in 2019 when we had when the Trump administration killed about 70 civilians in March 2008, uh, sorry, March 18, 2019, in Bagus, Syria, 70 civilians, most of moms and their kids. Or Biden did after ISIS Khorasan bombed the Kabul airport, killing 170 Afghan civilians in August uh, 2021. And so I, I don't like when people try to make the justification. Essentially, it works as a marketing and branding for the war machine, Raytheon, Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, about precision strikes, precision bombing. Howard Zinn, I was telling this to Marion Williamson, so anyone who heard that earlier, said when he was a bombardier in World War II that he bombed villages of German civilians after the Nazis already surrendered. And that was one of the most pivotal and transformational moments of his life. Why was he doing any bombing after the fact? And, and they, he's being told that, oh, don't worry, you're only going to hit the bad people. He said, well, what are you talking about? And so that's, sorry, that's my dog scratching her, uh, mm-hmm. sorry, her neck in the background. I'm sorry about that. But so that's why I'm, I'm very hesitant when I hear that. And when I see someone like Williamson being ready head on to take this type of question and, and answer it forthright, and honestly, it's a difficult one for her, right? Because she needs to try to make it a broad appeal throughout the country. Uh, Grant, she might be entertaining a run. And so if someone like Morgan Harper, from you especially, because you have such a good ability in this sense to ask very pointed, direct, accurate questions. And when she's open to even talking about the Iraq war, the lies that brought the U.S. into it, it, it that's why I say there's some promise to it. Further, yeah. as she said, to, oh, please go on, Brianna. You yeah, I, I will just say, I, I do want to make sure I get to people, Kusha, so I'm going to have to um, yeah, no, know, move on it shortly. But I just, I wouldn't want to respond by that by saying, yeah, I do find her to be very promising. We're all getting to know her at the same time, right? And I hope that that's not the first time I speak to her. Maybe you have an hour with someone. You know, you mm-hmm. have to kind of pick and choose your battles. But I, I hear some of the feedback where people want, you know, a more pointed examination of some of the things. And I, I, I what I really wanted to do in this episode was do a kind of an introduction and kind of mm-hmm. let her mm-hmm. know, like kind of throw down the gauntlet mm-hmm. from the left of what it is that our frustrations are. And I really want to hear from some mm-hmm. folks because I saw a lot of comments that said mm-hmm. that basically no matter what she says, it all sounds good. And people are finding it difficult to distinguish yourself, distinguish her from someone like AOC, who also sounded good, who mm-hmm. sounded great. Mm-hmm. And I like mm-hmm. your idea that there are some litmus tests in that mm-hmm. certain positions on foreign policy, on the use of drones, et cetera, mm-hmm. would be a part of the litmus test for you. So if I may, I'm going to go ahead and take some more mm-hmm. callers. And I want callers mm-hmm. to also contemplate whether or not they agree with Kusha and what their litmus test items would be to vet candidates like this, or whether they take the position that they're absolutely going to divest from electoralism altogether. But thank you as always, Kusha, for calling in and for such a thoughtful question. It was a tremendous pleasure of mine. Thank you so much for all the time. And I'm really glad you extended it to me. Looking forward to hearing the other callers' contributions. Thank you. All right, Omar, you're up next. Unmute yourself and let me know what you think. 
Hey, how's it going, Bree? Um, I thought the interview was great. I I did like Morgan. Just to clarify, she's a lawyer. Yes, she graduated from uh-huh. Stanford Law School, I believe. Yeah, so I mean, most of what I heard, I really agree with. I like the fact that I mean, she's a lawyer. Obviously, I think it brings a certain amount of like professional competence to the kind of work that goes in. Um kind of reflecting on the previous caller i mean for the litmus test to be quite honest i think i mean foreign policy is a little bit too much for me i mean as long as it's it's medicare for all student debt student debt cancellation and what would be the other one marijuana legalization i don't know she mm-hmm. everything sounded great i think the only sort of critique that i could really come up with was that I mean, at some point she did mention that, I mean, she saw herself as, I don't know, it was some kind of comment saying, like, kind of um, in the future, seeing, like, the Democrats being, her being part of the, the Democrat or identifying as a Democrat, I think that's what it was necessarily. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't make too much of it, to be quite honest with you, but it's just one of those little red flags, like, after seeing stuff, like, with AOC the belief that you can reform a Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Because, I mean, even myself, like in an ideal world, oh, yeah, I mean, you know, I would be a Democrat and they would be listening to most of what progressives want. But that's not necessarily the case. So if somebody were to say that in a different kind of situation with a little bit more leverage, I understand. But that's that was the only little red flag for me. Yeah, I'm really struggling with my, this myself, to be honest, because, I mean, everybody here knows how much I have expressed frustration with the squad around force the vote, uh, you know, how enthusiastic I am about third parties. You know, we talked to Nader on the podcast. We talked to Jill Stein on the podcast. We talked to her running mate, Ajamu Baraka on the podcast. You know, we talked to Chris Hedges about third parties and Shama Swant about third parties and, um, you know, Richard Wolf. And, you know, no one can ever accuse me of being kind of overly credulous of the Democratic Party. Although, yes, I did work for Bernie Sanders who I would note is an independent. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I'm a Green Party voter. Like, everybody knows, oh, it's me who caused Roe versus Wade to end because I voted for, for Jill Stein in 2016, you know, and on and on and on. Yeah. So, like, that's where I'm coming from. At the same time, I I sometimes see the response from some folks on the left to candidates like Morgan, and I pause, or even like Nina Turner, and I pause because... At the same time that I have all these frustrations, I don't know that I'm all the way there to saying, I don't give it, I don't give a damn if it's Tim Ryan or Morgan Harper. Like to me, that doesn't make, I'm not there. No, it, it doesn't fully make sense. And if someone says, I don't want to give them money, I completely respect that because money is scarce and people vote with their pocket. You know, like I totally get that, but given yeah. your choice and if you're living in the district and you can vote or you can tweet or you can like kind of offer soft support and say, I'm hoping for the best, but prepared for the worst. Like, that I that seems to be more constructive to me, but I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think sometimes, like, I mean, we have to be careful with not being victims of our own cynicism when it goes into these things, because otherwise, I mean, if you're going to be that much of a cynic, I mean, I don't know. It just sounds like it's just kind of whining without no really proposal proposal in terms of how to move forward. Yeah. So I, I definitely agree on, on that term. Um... I mean, like, I don't know if you came over from the Marianne um, Katie Halper stream, but, you know. I did. I did. What part of 
I, I wasn't able to listen to it, but I, I, I believe that they talked about this event that we're doing next week with Marianne, you know, promoting all of these progressive candidates. Mm-hmm. And I know there are some folks that are very frustrated that we're even participating in that event. But I got to say, one of those candidates, you know, when she called into the podcast, into the call in a few weeks ago, or maybe it was last week, and was talking about all of the real structural barriers to being able to run as a not Democrat, you know, as a third party vote uh, as a candidate whether it's being able to access act blue or email lists or all of these things, you know, it does, you know, I, I am, oh, I'm, I really want to support, you know, I, I would love for Bernie to have pivoted a third party, you know, like I, I, you know, back yeah, at the end of the I day, mean, it's are like we, we putting the infrastructure in place that doesn't make people, you know, put people in a position where they're doing a fool's errand and with their own money and with people who are already precarious in many instances. Exactly. Something doesn't like, quite sit right with me about that. No, I definitely agree. It's like we have our hand tied behind our back in terms of what we can do. And I agree. Sometimes, like, the only real viable option up until this point is to try to um, hijack, I don't know, any kind of Democratic election. I mean, I agree on that that point. Even though a lot of people just, like I mentioned, I don't blame the cynicism, but at the same time, you have to do something to fight, fight, fight back against it, you know? Yeah. Well, thank you, Omar. Did you, I'm sorry I mean to cut you off. Did you have anything else? Yeah, so... I don't know. So, so you know how Max opened on the N-word topic? So mm-hmm. I don't know if I appreciate that he did it before I did because <laughs> the the whole the whole thing with, with Rogan, I'm not sure if you remember this, Bree, it was like three years ago. There was a situation where Kendrick Lamar brought a fan up on stage to rap his song. And then obviously the song contained like the most famous racial slur in America. And she rapped the lyrics up live on stage. She ends up mm-hmm. getting kicked off, off off stage, right? And it kind of got me thinking about this because it compounded with, with the Joe Rogan conversation. My my thoughts on it is not necessarily like, oh, whether it's okay or not to say that or not. It's just how to think about the issue because like like you said you said when in your response to Max, I think, like, you know, like as a black person you can say whatever you want and that's not an issue, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how familiar you are with Patrice O'Neill, but he has this little bit where he says that I mean, black people in America basically, like, you know, they never got 40 acres in a mule. They never got no, no, um, um reparations. Yeah, reparations, right? Mm-hmm. But the only thing that he claims that, that was retained was, was language, right? Like, just be able to say whatever you want and, you know, kind of not having to face those repercussions. So, just when I was trying to think about the question, first of all, I was like, is this even like an issue? Should I even be wasting my time thinking about it? Which I think might be the right answer. But then otherwise, it was just just thinking about that dynamic, you know, in terms of how how we think about language in America as and, and you know, as, as a cultural cultural aspect, too. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, a comedian's bit is a comedian's bit. And yeah, I'm sure. It was good. I don't know how much I'm going to read, like <laughs> some like sociological understanding of the United States from from that premise. But. <laughs> It's just funny how he frames it, I think. It's just funny the way he puts it together, you know? But, yeah, yeah. it's it's not a defense. Trust me. I just want to know if I should (laughs) even waste my time thinking about it, and if so, how. I don't know, man. I really – look, the the part of me that's a human being like everybody else and who, like, hashtag loves the discourse wants (laughs) to do the discourse. I'm not going to lie. Like, Uh in my previous life when all I did was I was a lawyer and I would get online to, like, apply my analytical – thinking cap to these kind of things. I love to spend a lot of time teasing out exactly why, like putting into words exactly why I had opinions on, 
on on like hot button issues like this, mm-hmm. on third wire issues, like third rail issues like this. Mm-hmm. So there's a part of me that like personally, this is like my personal sport. You know, mm-hmm. I love this. Mm-hmm. I also know that it's not especially constructive and it also is being used right now to deflect from any number of other things that the left in particular should be focused on. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm sincerely torn. Like this is, I'm not going to sit mm-hmm. here and lie and say that I don't love the discourse. So let's mm-hmm. indulge in a little bit of discourse. Okay, fine. I, the biggest issue about this for me, and I saw someone tweeted this and I was like a hundred percent spot on. Even if I think that Joe Rogan is extremely off base for using this word. And I do, you know, Max, Max was framing it as, you know, is this the worst thing in the world? That's not the issue. It's not that it's, it's that's just, and I don't mean that. I, mean, I don't mean that as attack on Max. I'm just saying that was. I think it's helpful to clarify. It doesn't have to be the worst thing in the world to be like. I, I probably would prefer not to hang out with you if this, these are your choices, right? Yeah, yeah, I agree. However, it is also just enraging to me that the, all the people, the same cohort that's hand wringing about Joe Rogan, not only championed Joe Biden. Crime bill Joe Biden, eulogizing Strom Thurmond, the segregationist Joe Biden. They then harangued the rest of us to go and vote for Joe Biden. And Joe Biden himself said that if you do not, you ain't black. And the person I'm supposed to be so upset with in the grand scheme of all of this is some random podcaster who has absolutely no power over me, my life, my family lives, the lives of my community, the lives of anybody in the United States of America. Mm-hmm. And it just, I, I mean... This is the thing, and this is, again, to Max, Max's point. We want to know what the worst thing in the world is? A war on crime that ends up being a war on the poor. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's getting up there for me. Okay? Do you want to know what the worst thing in the world is? Taking a, a, doing a hatchet job on the social safety net. Trying to cut social security. Th- those things are starting to approximate, okay, you're earning your, 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 your ring, ring on the rung of Dante's hell. Those are things that I would love to be big mad in the streets and talking about saying, telling, telling millions of people in the, in the streets over the, over the, over the killing, uh, you know, the on-camera strangulation of a human being that you are the one that's going to advocate for their interest and that they have to vote for you because Trump is a fascist, all of that. And then turning around and ignoring your own self-imposed deadline to pass the George Floyd act and also, yeah. excuse me, and also ignoring all the things you could have done by executive order to help keep people safe. That's shit that makes me angry. That's mm-hmm. stuff that makes me want to cancel somebody. Mm-hmm. Some random podcaster telling inappropriate, yeah, sure, maybe racist. Use the whatever you word you want to use. I don't give a, give a shit because the same people who go on and on and on about how racism is power plus, plus, plus privilege and how you can't have privilege and you can't have power. And I can't be racist for this, that, and the other reason. Completely ignore the relative power that's held by the people in question in our society right now. And I just, I'm sorry. It's not that I have any interest in absolving Joe Rogan or, or saying that it's okay or giving anybody permission to do anything, but mm-hmm. you cannot, you can, in a world where Joe, Joseph Robinette Biden is the president <laughs> of the United States of America. You are just not going to get me mad at some random person because they used a literal word. Mm-hmm. Do I want to go play hopscotch with Joe Rogan? Do I want to, you know, I- invite him to my, my dominoes game? <laughs> yeah, maybe not if you can't keep his act together and, and mm-hmm. act polite and polite company. There will be black people there. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah. but like, I just, I'm sorry. I cannot, I cannot make myself care. Agree. Anyway, sorry for going on and on. Let me get through this line. The queue is queuing and we've gotten through what? Three people in 40 minutes. I'm a mess. Thank you, Omar, though. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Carol, welcome back. What's on your mind tonight? Hey, um, congratulations on your apartment. Uh, it took me a long time to get there too, so I know that that's why. <laughs> Thank you, I appreciate it. <laughs> it's a huge part of why I'm like never again to New York City. Like, mm. um, yeah, my my friends came <laughs> to help me move, and we were all like gushing about how palatial it is, and I'm like, actually, this is hilarious because anyone in the rest of the country thinks this is a tiny little <laughs> like squatter's flat, but to our mind, I'm like, oh, 740 square feet. Mm-hmm. I'm a queen. <laughs> next to a radiator yes oh my god you are living carol (laughs) Um, but yeah so um i i'll talk about the actual interview though slightly different topic (laughs) save us from ourselves carol save us from the discourse (laughs) no you're better than me on this discourse at least you enjoy it but um uh so the i don't actually have a problem with um like i'm less disheartened by the squad and electoral politics i just see it as a part of a like larger strategy and i think a lot of the frustration that a lot of the left has is that we haven't figured out what the other pieces of that strategy should be mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh the real thing that i wanted to uh, call in about is um morgan has like a really uh i don't want to s- she would not characterize her stance on crypto as very pro. I don't think, I think she, uh, I was listening to her. She was on another podcast talking like a very crypto centered, uh, podcast talking about Democrats who it's called unchained. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm like hesitant to shout out other podcasts, but people, yeah, go for <laughs> people need to know the reference, but yeah, of course on. this, this is <laughs> one hand gives one hand washes the other or whatever. Yeah. And also I don't really promote this, because I'm not a crypto person, but um, yeah, so she was on there talking about how Democrats really need to be open uh, to crypto, um, and she is basically kind of greenwashing a lot of the uh, the criticism against crypto, and the hard thing about talking about it with most folks is that it... <laughs> it's talked about in ways that are so obscure as to like make it seem like less of a scam than it really is. But anyway. I'm not going to, I'm going to lie to you. I literally put in the Slack today, like we should do an episode on crypto. Cause I truly just don't even know what this is. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. I would recommend watching. There's this video going around called line goes up and it really is two hours long. It's, but Oof. I watched it and I was like, listen, it was really good so i and and it's broken down into pieces so if you want to watch different sections that is very helpful but um if you wanted to give yourself an overview of it that's a great place to to start but um okay carol gave me homework let me write it down but yeah she she um i guess the biggest thing for me is that she one of the reasons that she gave for wanting to be open to crypto is that she feels like I do in that a lot of the left doesn't have a good business sense or um, Mm -hmm. we don't want to be seen as people who are hostile towards entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. And as someone who has said very similar words, I just want to be on record saying that this is not the way. Mm. (laughs) Crypto is not the way. Not the way. Um, And so I, you know, since you are kind of on uh, a different uh, 
you don't have the background yet to really mm-hmm. be able to speak mm-hmm. to this. I'm no, not going to belabor the point, but um, well, can you help us not... understand? I mean, can, can you give like us the, the sixty second <laughs> synopsis of why crypto is not the way? Well, at the moment, there is no actual value being created in just having some of these different coins, right? So it's like. Oh, oh, it's a speculation game, right? It's mm-hmm. you put your money in, you hope that it actually turns around to being something more than it is. But as it is, there's no inherent value to the items that you're getting. And then there's problems with the technology itself where people are saying, okay, if you use blockchain technology in this or that context, then that can be a really good thing. And that So it's kind of like an this NFT? A- okay, the NFT thing is um, it's a way to get people to buy art so that they can buy into the concept of crypto and get and make crypto more of a thing than it actually is. And you'll see a lot of people say like, a lot of people don't like it. So that's very good, I think. But um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, um, I'm I'm trying to figure out where to even start with explaining crypto. So you use blockchain technology to create what, like like a currency? Well, the blockchain is basically like a ledger that Mm -hmm. is supposed to be designed so that no one can tamper with it. Because Mm -hmm. what it does is it like you put your stuff on the blockchain and and there's a bunch of different computers that decide whether or not they're going to uh, approve that, get the chance to add you. uh, (laughs) A bunch of different computers will get a chance to be the computer that actually gets to write to the ledger and if they write to the ledger they get a small amount of money but in order to figure out which computer wins they have to undo some really complicated math problem right like i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> i am sorry like this is not like, like, I, I, look, when I say I don't know what crypto is, it's not because I've been sitting here ign- in a veil of ignorance happily what like the world going on around me like intellectually and curious no I have read many articles <laughs> and watched many clips on YouTube. And I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, Carol, you are brilliant. And I've heard you explain all kinds of other things to me. And we have vibed on those podcasts. I don't know what the hell you are talking about. Right now. <laughs> you are talking about computers, getting a small amount of money for being the one in the line that does the code and writes it on a ledger. Girl, what are you talking about? Why is anybody invested in this? Like, what is the top line? Like, how am I making money? Like, look, all currency is fake. You just decide it has value and it has value. Like, I can appreciate that kind of an explanation. Why do there mm-hmm. have to be computers and ledgers and blockchains and authentication and, like, monkeys dressed in sailor outfits? Because VCs can make money off of it that okay. way. Okay. No, well, then I'm, I'm just not interested. That's all you have to say, Carol. This isn't the way because this is all about venture capital companies and apparently Gwyneth Paltrow and then making money. And God bless Goop. She has enough. Yes, uh, that basically is what it boils down to. And I think Morgan, she's the the person that she's competing against, not the mm-hmm. uh, not Tim Ryan, but the Republican in her state mm-hmm. is very um, into crypto. And there are actually a lot of moneyed people who would consider themselves on the left. I'm not sh- like I, I don't want to speak to who is helping her with her campaign or who she is talking to or the reasons why she may feel like crypto is something that she needs to buy into um, or that she should buy into. Like, I don't know how sincere her Mm. interest is in it. Like, does she feel like she needs to do this because it's just something really popular? And I don't think like her being into crypto would not prevent me 
if I was in Ohio from voting for her. Mm-hmm. Um, because the the success or failure of crypto as a concept and as a new fake ass currency is not resting on the shoulders of Morgan. <laughs> right? mm-hmm. So I don't want that to be a thing, but it is something that is really worth, um, I think, looking into and being aware of if you're thinking about supporting her can- candidacy or if you hear other people c- talking about promoting it, like one person going into Congress who is in the Democratic Party who supports crypto is not like the end of the world. But if we start getting a lot of people on the left talking about this, like even that 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 really, <laughs> I don't want to get into it because then we have to go into another long explanation about like, the way the computers decide. No, Carol. No. No, why are the computers deciding? Carol, look, I'm not that much of a Luddite, but like yeah. I, I I grew up with cassette tapes. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when my parents got the first C D player. Okay. I don't know. I don't know if I'm gonna I, I I've struggled with TikTok. <laughs> We're the same age. It's okay. It's just Carol, Carol, Carol. <laughs> Carol, I I have lived I have lived a sequestered life, I guess. I, my brain, I don't know, I don't know, Carol. But look, I am crypto curious. I you have piqued my mm-hmm. curiosity. I need to know enough to know. I love to critique something. I love a hate watch. Yes. So I now I want to know enough to know why I should be mad at other people. And I'm gonna watch this movie. I'm gonna watch this two hour. I'm gonna watch it on double speed. So it's gonna take only gonna take an hour and nine and minutes. And you will of my not life. understand. I mean, if you watch it on double speed, even I had to like sit down and really understand certain things so but you know Carol, so you're telling me it's gonna take more than two hours i'm not not hoping you want to watch this thing more watch it at the speed that is gonna work for you all right carol like you know all right i'm gonna try i'm crypto curious and if i ever have morgan back on the show again which i hope to do this is just the beginning you know we have a long six months or so ahead of Mm -hmm, us up mm -hmm, into these mm -hmm. metrics so um i will i will ask her the the crypto question yeah but thank you for putting on our radar carol absolutely all right y'all have a good night okay have a good night eric my cousin eric gray is up next what's on your mind eric (laughs) how you doing i'm doing well tonight (laughs) um yeah so um this this comes from someone who's pretty much done with democrats (laughs) Um, lay it on me tell me Tell me why you were not convinced by Morgan Harper. Yeah, it's not. It, I I don't know. It's not just her. Like it's, it's like I'm looking at her going, "Oh boy, I don't. I really don't want to see another person turn into an AOC." Like I really, uh, I, I was. It's just, can we stop running in this Democratic Party, please? <laughs> can we just be done with this party, please? Yeah, I, I, I hear you. You're, you're having you're having your white snake moment. You're thinking. Yeah, yeah. Wait, where is it? Where is it? Wait a minute. It's gonna be worth it. I promise. Wait, God damn it! Wait for it. Just wait for it. Just wait for it, Eric. I just trust me. Trust the process. Here I go again on my own. <laughs> is that how you're feeling, Eric? A little case of deja vu? Yeah. <laughs> I, I just that's I guess I, that's why like I look so 
I look forward to like how he's how he does his weekly streams on Saturday. Um, Who's that? Howie Hawkins. Yeah. Oh, Howie Hawkins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's also playing White Snake. No. <laughs> No, he does his, he does the his like eco socialist podcast and whatnot. Oh. It's, it's it's pretty cool. Hmm. Uh, yeah, it's just like I guess that's also why I look forward to those so much because I'm kind of at the point where I'm like, yo, we need anti capitalist running. Like this, this stop, <laughs> stop. Okay, so okay, but okay, you say you, you need an anti capitalist running. So someone who let's say someone comes on the podcast, they say, I'm Brianna. Here I go. I'm running for the house in whatever texas let's just make this up and i am anti-capitalist i am a self-described socialist i belong to dsa slash socialist alternative capitalism bad i'm completely on board however i will be running within the democratic party i need to see you have a plan because <laughs> i <laughs> not nah, not 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 like no, no cap. I need to see you have a plan. Cause Wait, it, what kind of plan? What is your litmus test? Because this goes back to the well, early caller. Mix, like, it's a mixture of like, okay, so force the votes one. I mean, you kind of mm-hmm. have that. And then... So you want you want to know if the person were in a situation, because I, I kind of asked her this and, you know, you can feel how you feel about her answer. But, you know, what would you do in a situation where it, it's, you know, you are in the Senate. Any one person can be mansion or cinema. If you're in the House, any six or seven of you, assuming we where to keep it, you know, could do, you know, could, could, could make it break the difference, could do a force the vote. What would you do? And if they affirmatively said, because Nina Turner has now been asked this question subsequent to force the vote, right? And Why? She now, you know, now she says, yes, I would have forced the vote. There was a little bit of an equivocal answer at first, but now she's come around and says she would force the vote. If someone averse that they would do that, would that be enough for you? Um, That would start a conversation. I mean, I don't. I don't know. That would that would start it, but it would it be enough? I guess I need a little more. So, Eric, you're telling is, me that if you lived in Cincinnati and you get your ballot this fall and you have a chance to vote for, let's say, I I, I got to put my cards on the table. I like Morgan. I don't know her more than you guys know her. The only interaction I've had is what you heard, and maybe five minutes after chit chatting about law school. <laughs> but you know, all I know is what you know. But I liked her. I also understand people's reservations. So if you were sitting, if you were in Cincinnati and you were an Ohio voter, are you telling me that you wouldn't go to the ballot box and pull the lever for Morgan? I mean, given where I'm at, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say like, you're talking about in a primary or a general or does it matter? Both. I mean, are you going to help her beat Tim Ryan? And then are you going to vote for her? Let's talk about the primary because that's really where the stakes are. Are you going to Get off the couch for a, a, a congressional primary. Um, but that, but then that's the thing too. It's like I'm in this lesser two evils crap again. It, it's mm. I'm like I'm I'm doing I'm not doing it because I'm happy if I end up doing it. That's to say, if I even do it in the first place. If I do it in the first place, I'm kind of like uh, you. I'm kind of approaching like you suck less. <laughs> I'm not really approaching it. Um, being happy for you. Okay, but I hear that, but does that mean you get up and I'm not trying to do, you know me, guys. I'm not trying to do vote blue no matter who here, but I don't think that voting for someone like Morgan Harper or even, you know, AOC or however you feel about her now is commensurate with saying, go ahead and vote for Joe Biden. I think you can be upset with both, 
you know, if, if is like, here, let me let me clarify the question: oh, Is God. the issue that she is running as a Democrat? Is the issue that she is not describing herself as a quote unquote socialist? Like, what exactly would she well, have to do to get you to trust her enough, or not well, her particularly, but you know, any candidate? To come out and actually vote for her and support her full throatedly in a mid- in a in a primary context. I mean, when you talk about describing yourself as something, that's yeah, I mean, anybody can describe themselves. As something. But that that's kind of I what mean, I'm getting at. Like I, hear I know, it, like, I know, but I'm I don't going, even I'm ask going... people, do you identify as a socialist anymore? Because I kind of don't think it. We're not really in that same frame of mind that we were in in 2018. You know. No, I know that. That's why I'm like, um, I'm not even asking if you're describing as it. I need to see that you actually are. Like, I need to see that you're actually anti-capitalist i need to see that you're you know that you're actually not just not just a stand not just some standard operating village idiot i need to you know i need to see some something that you're willing to be like hey what if this democratic party tries to screw me yeah well but that's part of why i think this race is so interesting to watch and i hope that at leftists pay attention to it one because it's a senate race and we don't get this i can't remember another instance where we had a genuinely progressive option in a senate context that could potentially win who's capable and competent and like not a kind of lark joke candidate you know what i mean um and the other reason is because she's going up against this establishment candidate in the primary it's a really good opportunity for her to show what will happen when the establishment comes with her because they absolutely will like they, they absolutely I mean, are going to back Tim Ryan. I mean, let me let's say this, right? So, mm-hmm. let's say hypothetically that I did. Let's say that I did decide I gave a fuck somehow <laughs> and voted Morgan Harper over Tim Ryan. So let's mm-hmm. say in a magical universe where I gave a shit, <laughs> and and I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. so. Given the job Biden, given what Biden is doing, and given how roastable he is, <laughs> I mean, we like Morgan running as Democrats a liability there too. Then you're getting tagged up with that. Yeah, it was interesting. You know, she mentioned this. She mentioned this in the episode that there are so many people in the state that she talks to who would say that they, they say they like her, but they don't want to, you know, vote for Democrats. Well, well, that's the thing. That's what I'm saying. I don't blame like, because I'm in this camp, you know, like a lot, like a, pretty like much Republicans all... say they're like, like conservatives, like not that yeah. they're leftists who don't want to vote for her for the reasons that we are skeptical of Democrats, but people who would cross the aisle for her, except for the, the Democratic brand is so toxic. Yeah, but that, Nancy that's, Pelosi that's... is, you know, I don't know if you listened to the debate or whether we clipped this part in the episode, but um, Josh Mandel kept bringing it back to Pelosi. And yeah. it's so funny to me that like every time centrists lose, you know, Clara McCaskill gets in her effing kitchen that you guys know I effing hate <laughs> with those effing fake sunflowers on the counter and starts talking about how it's progressive's fault. And no one talks about the fact that in all of those Republican campaign ads across the country, it's it's Nancy Pelosi's facing them as much as or more than AOC's. I mean, that and that's part of the reason that's, well, a, a significant chunk of the reason well, I can't say it's significant. It's a good chunk of the reason why we should just be done with that party. I mean, if that, like, okay, but I mean, Eric, if I can, I, I, I'm, I'm with why... you, but answer me this. What do you say to, um, 
you know, the candidate who calls in and says, I'm trying my darndest in Washington state, but if I don't run as a Democrat, like I'm hundred percent with you, Democrats are trash, but if I don't run as a Democrat, I literally cannot get donations through act blue. And I'm, I'm taking them over. But let me, let me say this too. Like, and as black people, let's say this too. I'm not trying to do this again. Like, I'm not like, I'm not trying to convince you think I'm really going to try to convince black folks to do this again. Like, I'm not trying to do that. Okay, but I'm not, but let's take this, let's, this is an individual, I'm, I'm not, I understand, like, because I feel this too, because I'm in this position as a as a talk show host, right? Like, I, I, I know that I have a responsibility not to, like, lead people into the lion's dinner or whatever. So I am uncomfortable saying, go vote for Morgan Harper. All I can do is talk to her and make up your own mind. I'm not asking you to campaign for her, talk to other people, induce other people to vote. I'm asking no, no, about I, you and your no. individual capacity. Would you not, you know, Right, rake people back into the party and tell them vote blue no matter who's shaming. But would you feel like it was worth your time to go and vote for Morgan Harper in the primary? And if not, what would she have to do to make you feel differently? Is it is, is anybody who runs as a Democrat just off the clock for you? I mean, at this point, I, it might they might have to be like it's it's just like I can't. That's why I kind of agree with like the RBN crew. Because at this point, I can't look at this and go, here we go with this again. Like, seeing the the squad, it's like, you want me to repeat this again? Like, yeah, I know. We're we're gone now. Sorry. (laughs) I, look, it's just. It's not it's not so much that I'm trying to convince, like campaign for somebody. It's like I know people that will ask me mm-hmm. in in my in my own like in my own hood, in my own community. It's like Eric, where do you live? What what state do you live in? I'm living in Florida. I'm I'm so, I'm like down south. Okay. Eric, you live in Florida. What yeah, that I know. means is some I know. horrible electoral hellscape where the yes. options are like some some trash human being is about to be on the ballot next to probably not a Morgan Harbor, but some Terrible milk toes Democrat. What do you do? Like that's the worst scenario, actually. <laughs> yeah, you know what most of us do? What? Stay most home. of us go most of us go hell no and just sit home. Right. And and, and we're gonna acknowledge that, right? Like she even acknowledged that in the clip we played at the top of the episode. That that's what she's fighting against. And that's what she's afraid is gonna happen if it ends up being Josh Mandel, who's this insane Trump styled Republican. Guys, you should just but, watch their debate. It's just full, it's true entertainment. But it's, it'll be it'll be a him against Tim Ryan, who is the milquetoast Democrat. And this is an opportunity ostensibly to have a better matchup that actually will inspire people to turn out. But not you, Eric. You wouldn't turn out. No, it's it's just like, okay, I will watch you effectively become similar to AOC. Like, I, we already got enough of that in the house anywhere. But like, I'm not having you be co-opted by a party that doesn't care. Okay. You, you you will never it's like i mean that's that's why like i know i know chris talked about it like well if the squad went against the democratic party they'd get crushed like they, they'd get crushed so well, what do you think about the fact that she i mean again asc was willing to say the same thing so grain of salt um well asc didn't say this quite but let me just say it morgan said that she would have self-imposed term limits now that's a key. Oh, that, that's to, that's when I heard that I call I called bullshit there. You don't believe like, her? You think that she's just lying? I don't I don't believe that. Cause you can say that now, 
But when shit gets real, I need to actually see you do it. And I don't think I'm going to see you do it. Well, you're not going to see her do it, Eric, because you're not going to vote for her. <laughs> well, well, no, no, that's the thing. I'm like, well, I, well, I shouldn't say see her, but I'm like, I can't trust you to do that once you're in the position. Yeah, look, I, I hear that. I hear that. Now, I will say that I think that's a, like, it's a firmer commitment than AOC saying, like, hypothetically, I'd rather be a one-term congressperson than one that portrayed her values. Like, I, I, I think, you know, she... You can say things and walk things like that back, but it's harder, you know, it is harder to do um, than the kind of more vague gesture to that commitment than AOC made. I don't know. Like, I'm not disagreeing with you, Eric. I'm just, I'm just mooting it because that's my job. And I appreciate your perspective because I know a lot of people feel this way. I'm going to move on down the queue, but I appreciate you going back and forth with me. Yeah, I just don't know what to tell my students sometimes. Yeah, that's what it yeah, is. I, I know. I don't know what to tell you guys sometimes. <laughs> so we're we're all working through it together. You know, we're, we'll get through it, inshallah. All right. Yeah, definitely. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. <laughs> no problem. Okay, Andy, what say you? What do you make of all of this? Hi, Bree. I hope you're feeling your material girl fantasy in your new apartment. Let me tell you, I am looking at the best kitchen. <laughs> I am sitting Love across for you. from such lovely fixtures. I don't even know what to do with myself. Love so that. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Auntie. <laughs> so, <laughs> what's on your mind? What's on in, in less material things? <laughs> so first of all, thank God for callers like Carol. She's doing the Lord's work against crypto and its scourge. Yes, um, God bless Carol. So I have a whole thing written out so I don't sound like the stuttering mess i usually am in past calls Andy, you guys are so hard <laughs> on yourselves guys like you're you're jewels i have i've never listened to a caller and been like that person wasn't sufficiently prepared you know <laughs> what a what a fool that fellow was you guys are always so cogent but okay Andy, let me not interrupt get, get let's let's hear from you so I feel like I'm in a toxic relationship with my own emotional investment in electoralism. <laughs> I, I would be lying if I said that the pain from watching the Democratic Party stand in the way of progress, whether it was, you know, teaming up with Republicans to fuck over Nina Turner or seeing the news mansion and other rotating villains to kill build, build back better, wasn't mm. still very fresh in my mind. That said, with this banger of an interview with Morgan Harper, I couldn't help but feel hopeful justifiably so or not, that things can still change. And to be honest, I question the motives of a certain cohort of left-wing influencers that would seek to actively undermine the campaigns of Harper, Turner, and other progressives who choose to run as Democrats instead of whatever third-party ticket they would prefer to run them on. And I mean undermine in the sense of using their influence to convince people to not support their candidacies via donating, canvassing, etc., especially when we're talking about congressional races where I think a progressive has much better chance at winning the primary and the general than ever in the presidential race. And that's not to say that I don't believe in building up third parties, but as you always say, why not do both? I think Harper and other people you've spoken to have laid out all these structural reasons why they choose to run within the party. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it behooves the left to completely abandon that strategy, at least not until we have a infrastructure that makes that makes third parties viable on all levels of races. But I don't know. What do you think about that? Andy, I think I'm about where you are. I'm about where you are, where I fully embrace, I I don't want this to sound like a cop out, but I fully embrace all of the skepticism that people articulate. Like, so totally, fully understand that. But I sometimes look at the comments 
And I have had the thought. I try not to say things like this because I think it's counterproductive and you don't know people's motives and stuff. But I have had the thought, like, is, are these people ops? Like, <laughs> this, it feels like a weird campaign. Like, if you don't support Nina Turner, if you're skeptical of her or any of these other candidates, like, I totally get that. There are genuine criticisms to be made of these people and their choices. But also just, like, would you, if you don't prefer that Chantel Brown win, just, like, sit it out. Exactly. Like, just sit up. Don't give her your money. Like, I totally respect that choice. But why would you actively work to undermine the progress, like the more progressive candidate, even if they're deeply flawed, clearly miles above the alternative? Right. And so just a final note, I don't know if we have laid the whole dating conversation to rest yet, but FD Signifier did put out a really good video on YouTube a few days ago called Death to Quote Unquote Black Love. It's a provocative title, I know, Mm. but it's a really good watch. I don't think it's even that long. I think it's like less than an hour. Um, I cannot recommend it enough. And I think it could serve as the impetus for a really good conversation to have with them on the podcast. So that's another podcast recommendation for me, for, from me. Death to Black Love. What, what venue was that in again? What medium? It's on, it's on YouTube and YouTube. Uh, it's by FD Signifier. Oh, yeah. He's great. He should come on the pod, huh? Like we should just talk, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's great. I also want him to give me tips on how to be big on YouTube. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I will definitely listen to that. I'm surprised it hasn't come up in my queue already because I'm definitely a subscriber to his channel. Um, thank you, Andy. Thank you, Brie. All right. It is Free Assange Chris. <laughs> What's up? Hey, Brie. I got a few things tonight. A couple of them are pretty quick. A couple might be slightly longer. First off, you say... Order them them in your own priority list because I can't promise we're going to get to all of them. Okay. I promise. First off, you say Bernie is an independent, but he sure is acting like a Democrat these days. Uh, Just one... Well, this is is kind of the point, though, Chris, right? Like, what do any of these labels mean? You can be... You can like Bernie... Be, be like that he's independent, not like how he's behaving now. You can say that someone's, you know, a, a Democrat and maybe you wouldn't like them, but then they, at the, when the chips are down, they fight. Like, Rashida Tlaib hasn't disappointed me much, I got to say. Like, you know, I, 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 that, that's why it's just hard to know before they actually do the thing how to feel about them, which makes me inclined to just support them enough to get them in the position where they can do the thing because what's the alternative? Tim Ryan? Right. Well, the, yeah. The second thing is I see Katie's in the room. I wanted to say thank you to oh. her. She facilitated a debate between myself and a gentleman by the name of Tucker the other night on Sunday evening, and it was like interesting, and and uh, it was certainly an interesting discussion. Um, Why didn't I see Katie? Okay, I'm sorry. Go she ahead. was in the queue, I think, or something. I'm not sure. Maybe she dropped out. Maybe she, it's, it's late on the East Coast. Third was term limits i find inherently anti-democratic we need to reduce the power of incumbency and then if you're a popular candidate and the people still want you i don't think i think term limits are inherently democratic that's my position on that um fourth i think i'm to my fourth point (laughs) is um litmus tests um you can't say let's stay in afghanistan because of the women that's a that's a that is a CIA talking point. We're we're not the women. You know, I, I 
I'm not trying to say that women and children should be shot and killed and marginalized under the Taliban, but if you want us to stay in a 20-year war because we've done nothing to protect women for 20 years there and we've killed a lot of civilians, uh, including women and children, and and several on our way out after uh, uh, ISIS-K uh, did that bombing at the Kabul airport, um, it's just that that uh, violates a litmus test of mine. Um, Are you uh, alluding to Marianne Williamson, Chris? Yes. Yes. All right. So correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't what she said – look, we did a whole episode on this. So actually, I don't want to rehash it. Did you listen to our episode with Stephen Simler? Um, I'm sure uh, I did. It was back in the fall, right? No. Well, yeah, it was – well – the withdrawal happened on August 15th, I remember, because it was my birthday, and I happened to be having brunch with Marianne Williamson, and we had a long conversation about it as all of that stuff was popping off on the internet. And my understanding of what she said, and I completely understand why people were upset by it, was that there are consequences to the way the withdrawal was executed. Unfortunately, all of the critique of the execution of the withdrawal was wrapped up. It was a lot of pretextual critique from people who absolutely don't want us to withdraw ever. And the, what we asked, the question we asked in this episode was whether or not it is ever possible for the left to have a conversation about humanitarian goals and objectives that aren't necessarily part of an imperialist pretext. Well, I mean, yeah, but when you're advocating to stay in a country with the military that's done nothing to advocate for women and children in Afghanistan and has, in fact, done the exact opposite over 20-plus years or roughly 20 years at that point, um, then I just – it it violates my litmus test. Yeah, because I, I'd agree. The, but I, the I don't American think military – like, I'm, I'm an advocate for, for humanitarian issues. I, but I don't and, think and, that what she was doing, what she very explicitly wasn't doing, was saying that we should stay in Afghanistan. What she was saying was that she thought that various things need to be done handled differently. We needed to get X, Y, and Z people out, trans, translators and things like that were left behind. Marion Williamson, and I'm sure you talked took this up with her, never said we need to stay in Afghanistan. And I completely understand why people took it that way because basically everybody who was screaming women and children at the time was doing so pretextually. But I really just wanted to be careful because you're saying that Marianne Williamson was advocating for us to stay in Afghanistan, which was that's not how her text, I remember. That's how her tweets. That's how her tweets sure sounded. No, she, no, but, but that's her tweet very much did not say let's stay in Afghanistan, and you know that, Chris. It depends how you read it. I'll leave it up to the reader. Uh, all right. Was there, was there anything else, Chris? Yeah. Um, next week, you guys are having an event. I'm curious to see it. I will be watching. I think it's a week from this evening mm-hmm. um, or maybe Thursday. No, I'm not sure. It's the 16th, right? I think that's 16th. Um, so Wednesday, Wednesday. Yeah. Wednesday, a week from tomorrow. I'll be watching. I'm curious to see what you guys have on. Um, well, thank I really you for hope, watching. I really hope there's some third-party candidates. I said this to Katie the other night, and mm. that that it's not just Dems because, you know, that was the debate that was had between myself and Tucker the other night. Mostly was was inside outside with Democrats and um, whether investing in in Democratic Party is worth it. And I am Are with there any your third-party candidates on your radar that you you would like. To I am with your your cousin your long lost cousin, Eric on my skepticism of the democratic party. Um, but no, I don't have any right now. Um, All right. 
Well, let me and I would love to be exposed to some more. Last question. This one's really quick. Is can you repeat the name of that song that you play at the beginning that you've been playing at the beginning <laughs> recently? Uh, yes, it's called I Wish, and it's by a group called Quarter Water. You can get their album wherever you get albums or on Spotify. Sorry. Uh, and uh, they are a small group. I just happened to be friends with the brother of the lead guy. And I heard the song because the brother played it for me. And I was like, oh, that's actually good. And there's lots of other good songs in the album. I sped it up for this intro. So it's actually a bit more laid back when you hear the real thing. Um, and I Can I yeah, go ahead. Leave, you, leave you with the question of what you think about term limits? And then I'll, I'll, uh, I'll drop down. But I, I mean, did mention that and you didn't yeah, didn't give you a I, chance I to respond. I like, I understand what Morgan's trying to do there, and I understand hypothetically, like, we are, we do have this problem where these people don't step down, and they're old, and they the system is corrupting, and there's, like, a natural skew to the right over time, and it seems like some kind of limit might be in order. But it is also true that it's so rare that someone good gets through. Like, imagine, excuse me, sorry. <laughs> imagine if Bernie got term limited. Imagine if FDR got term limited. We'd be in a worse place than we would Definitely. otherwise, I would argue. And if we're in a democracy and all these people are like, no, we want you again. It's working for us. It's a problem. Like, the reason that Nancy Pelosi has been in office for so long isn't because of a lack of term limits as it is. It's money. There are these barriers, exactly, barriers to entry. It's the fact that she's never forced to debate Shahid Buttar or any other challenger. She doesn't even get exactly. challengers. Democratic Party, you know, put a blacklist on vendors that were working with people who challenged incumbents. Like, all of these kind of structural issues are the real issue. And so I do kind of feel like it's it's a nice gesture. Like, I understand what she's trying to do there, but it doesn't really move me one way or the other. Yeah, I just think it's – I think there's better things to focus on than term limits like – reducing the power of incumbency, equaling, equalizing the playing field financially, uh, giving public funds to, to candidates to help candidates that don't have a Rolodex of millionaires that they rub mm. shoulders with on a regular basis. Mm. Those are way more important things to helping with the political issues we have in this country than term limits. I mean, like you said, getting rid of FDR early would have screwed us and getting rid of Bernie now would, you know, as much as I have gripes about him over the last you know year year and a half you know he's still the best senator out of a hundred by far and and that is that is uh you know i don't think throwing away a good a good thing is a is a smart move but yeah anyway yeah well thank you chris i appreciate it thank you i always love being challenged by you all right wyatt how are you doing Hi, Bree. Hi. What's on your Hi, mind this evening, um, Wyatt? I'm doing good tonight. Congratulations on your apartment. Your first one bed, one bath. You made it. Thank Let's you. Whoop, whoop. Where's I've my applause in... button? <laughs> it's me. I'm doing the thing. <laughs> yes. Also, I'd like to say, like, all housing should be free or, like, government, you know, ran through the government because... I am 20 years old and I've been in my one bedroom, one bath apartment, 800 square feet with a backyard area. Ooh, 800 square feet. You got to show me up like that, Wyatt. I'm not trying to show you up. I'm trying to say that all housing should be government so we don't have this 
ridiculous housing market where me, a 20 year old, uh, gets to live in like you know somewhat luxury like you make me feel like i'm living in luxury now and we um, are with 800 square feet and outdoor <laughs> space wyatt Woof. yes i have like a little backyard patio area central heat and air i don't know if you have that um <laughs> yes although let me tell you they charge an arm and a leg for this freaking it's fine it's fine it's fine i'm happy I'm yes grateful. i get it <laughs> um inflation has made my gas bill go up like mm. a lot mm. a lot especially um in oklahoma we had a winter storm um last year where you know like you know the thing that happened to Texas mm-hmm. well it happened worse in Oklahoma mm-hmm. <laughs> except we're a poorer state with less resources um <laughs> so now the taxpayers or us the system we're stuck with a bill from the energy companies for the next 20 years like a billion dollars in cost for the next 20 years that are going to like Jesus. be paid down on our gas and electric bills um, my electrics run, ran through an energy cooperative, so it's not going to mm. be like, um, it's like a, a different, different system than OG&E, which is like the main supplier for the state. They have a, I'd say a monopoly on our um, state power grid. And then we only have one gas company, so they do have a monopoly on our state. Mm. So like we're all stuck paying these inflated prices, but that's just apartment stuff. Like I said, all, you know, free and fair housing. Everybody needs it. Amen Let's to get that. it going. Amen that, to that. That is one of my litmus tests. Um, I wonder, I don't know how Morgan Harper, I, I think we went through the whole interview. I don't, I didn't really hear any of her plans on, you know, housing and, mm. you know, that stuff. Because in Ohio, I, I guarantee like homelessness is obviously a problem, but maybe not like the big ticket issue, like it would be a California or Texas or Florida. So maybe that's yeah. why it wasn't worked into her uh, yeah. interview as much. Well, I don't know that it's homelessness per se, um, but my understanding of what's going on in Ohio, just kind of tangentially through family and such is like, it's one of those markets that there is just not commensurate value in home ownership as in other parts of the country. Cause it just never goes up. Which is why, you know, my mom can move home right now and like finally afford a house. But the, for the family right. members who like invested in homes in the 50s, 60s, I think I mentioned on a, an episode previously on my great grandfather was like a bricklayer and they bought this house and they were so proud of it. And it's, you know, they're in the family, but the neighborhood is so terrible now. And it's worth it. They bought, you know, it's worth like $20,000. You know what I mean? There's just no equity yeah. at all. And it's mm-hmm. like across the state. And, you know, that's, that has a lot to do with a lot of different factors, but my understanding is that, you know, rent comparatively is very cheap, but the job market is also just not giving. Right. <laughs> it is not I'm, giving. Yeah, yeah, I'm able to support myself. Um, my dad, after working at a job for almost, you know, 30 years of his life, was only able to save up in our economy enough money for him to support me through two years of college. Mm. So now I've been on my own since um, 2020 um, or the beginning of 2021 um and i've been able to pay my rent thankfully because i've been you know working at amazon which is Mm. terrible within itself Mm. so like i've really been able to and i also have to drive 30 minutes so i i've i i was able to save up when i was 16 years old and buy a car so these are all factors that are really playing in to me being able to um exist like that so and i know a lot of people do not have these means or things so it's really tough out there so mm-hmm. I, I understand, like, especially in Ohio, um, I've worked with people from Ohio before, 
um, in the Columbus area, I understand like the conditions on the ground mm-hmm. there and they're not, they're honestly worse than Oklahoma and Oklahoma is a bottom in every lie, bottom in everything. And I think Morgan, it would be a really good help in the Senate. I just don't think that, I mean, she could win the primary maybe. I don't know. I don't vote Guys, in Ohio. I think we I don't look, vote in the reason, part of the reason I'm kind of like stuck on Morgan it's because I do feel, first of all, the fact that it's a Senate race makes it a lot more high profile and interest of, of national interest. Than exactly. Some of these congressional races. Yes. So, so for one, the left is lost. The left is sad. The left wants someone to rally around. And I'm not saying that like we should put all our hopes and dreams in Morgan or anything. Again, we're all just getting to know her. She could disappoint us tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I'm not making any promises about her. I don't know her. Okay. I should put that as a gift. Too. I need to, I need to make a sound effect. That's the uh, Mariah Carey. I don't know her sound effect. Note to self. But, um, <laughs> I I feel as though this is an opportunity for the left to articulate our values again in a way that we haven't post-Bernie and to draw these contrasts because Morgan is basically forced, even if she's just a big lying liar, she's forced because of the context of the primary with Tim Ryan to really explain to everyone why progressives are different, especially because there's obviously appetite in Ohio, which is a purple slash red state for people who are outsider candidates, why, which is why Josh Mandela has a shot. And so her pitch that is, I am an outsider, I am an anti-establishment, I will call out corruption, and that is what makes me electable in addition to being a good person, is one that really crystallizes all of our complaints about the Democratic Party and potentially does so on a national scale. And she doesn't get um, – she, she gets the benefit of kind of the identity politics wars being a black woman and kind of, I think – demonstrates you know what that could be and we don't have to keep living with this like figment this like big lie that Kamala Harris is this uh, capable charismatic brilliant person you have someone like Morgan Harper that you put them side by side (laughs) and it reveals the extent to which Kamala like can barely god bless her heart she seems like a nice lady but can just like barely get through a paragraph okay (laughs) yeah I mean Kamala like her attitude it's kind of fake. She's trying to do this fake, fake auntie thing. And it's like, I've been around, you know, real aunties and people who actually act like that. And girl, I know you're acting. You're not fooling mm-hmm. nobody. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's all I'm going to say on Kamala. But mm-hmm. back to Morgan, mm-hmm. she, I think she's great. I, my first interaction with Morgan was actually through TikTok. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if it was a campaign, but it was a video of her canvassing at like the Ohio State Fair and she was um, introducing herself to people and the man was, you know, trying to catcall her because, you know, Morgan serving body, Morgan serving face, always. <laughs> so <laughs> this man was trying to catcall her and <laughs> and she was like, you, you know, you can't get my number, but you know what? I am running for you know, Senate, I'm running to be your senator, vote for me, all this stuff. So that that was my first interaction with her. And it was positive. And that's oh, another way that. like hilarious. <laughs> Morgan was uh I think that's a, a way for, you know, leftists to communicate another medium in TikTok. Maybe not we shouldn't be pushing our policy on there, but maybe like pushing our presence as people, mm. you know, mm. connecting with people, not saying, you know, this is what, you know, like if you support this, you're a racist or stuff like that, but more mm-hmm. like uh, just us out in the community helping people, you know, grocery drives, videos, us interacting with the community in non-political ways. Mm. 
mm-hmm. handing out food, maybe rent voucher or like, you know, a little fundraiser for everybody. I don't mm-hmm. know. But that's, we need to use social media for that so we can stop getting this, um, you know, just never ending circle of ideas on it on Twitter and TikTok is terrible for political discourse that's why I was like that's why I'm like we should not talk well, about Taylor, policy or anything else Taylor Lorenz told me I should get on TikTok after we cut the episode last week I was like well is it worth it she's she has half a million she's very like nonchalantly I was like okay girl she said well I've got right. half a million followers on TikTok I was like what and I went on there and I started following her I, I just I feel like I have to try this like, you I do have like to try. Just... I love TikTok. Like I watch TikTok all the time. They're my favorite. It's my favorite media to interact with. It's just not a lot of intelligent conversation goes on there. It's, That's what it's she a very was one. It's a one-way medium. So you know, you just post a video of yourself, mm. and the only interaction people have in the comments is just like words and emojis. You can't mm. do uh, videos. You can't do reply. Like you can do video replies. Can't you do those replies? Like said, yeah. You can do video replies, but it's all one way. You can, you know, you can video reply to two seconds of a cut a video and video reply two seconds of a video and you know we are we all know what that creates mm-hmm. so well that's exactly so what taylor said she said more smart people need to get on tiktok because it's yes like, more smart people do there. need to get on tiktok but yeah that's that's what i have for tonight all right well thank you why i really appreciate you calling in all right terrence you're up to bat hi Bree. how's it going can you hear me okay loud and clear Okay, awesome. So I'll join the chorus in saying congratulations on your new apartment. It sounds awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, so I'm going to try and take the, the conversation a little bit of a different way. So first of all, um, I should say I'm uh, running for state Senate in uh, the North Shore of Massachusetts. So on the oh, state right level on. here. And um, I think uh, as far as I can tell with uh, Morgan Harper, uh, she sounds great, uh, you know, as far as Democrats go. Mm-hmm. Um but I was just curious, like, generally your thoughts on, like, do you think we're focusing a little too much, maybe? And this is a bit of a self-serving question. Do you think we're focusing a little too much on federal politics and not enough on state-level politics when it comes to, like, the potential for change and coalition building, for that matter, on the left? I hear that. I hear that. Well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, Terrence. Please. Do you think it would be helpful to you and your race? If a show like mine or some of these other lefty shows that have a more national focus were to talk about you, like, is your audience, the people that you need to vote for you, are they listening? You know? Oh, absolutely. Hmm. Okay. Like, because my perception is like in a more localized market, you know, the, the benefit of people like Nina Turner or whatever drawing on a national audience and their national profile is fundraising, right? Not that most bad faith listeners live in Cleveland and then can vote for her, but that she can get people to donate to her campaign because of what she represents for our broader politics, even if she's not going to represent us. And then obviously you're, you're talking about, um, you know, state Senate race, which is more local than that. And I wonder you know, I don't know. I, I wonder if it still has the same level of draw, given the lack of the kind of national implications in terms of fundraising. And then also if it's just our people who can vote for me listening to this podcast in a way that could be influenced to vote for me. And also, would they not already be planning to vote for me because they're lefty enough to be listening to these podcasts and be politically engaged? So, like, I don't know. Like, I guess a part of me kind of always assume that even though I totally agree with you about 
the need to invest more in local races. I don't always think that my role is as significant there, but you're telling me that I'm wrong and I am willing to hear that. Oh, I don't, I don't know that I'm necessarily telling you you're wrong. I think I, it wasn't meant as a critique so much as just sort of uh, expanding, you know, uh, what we're, what we're all trying to do yeah. um, here. And um, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to your, um, your thing next week with um all the uh, the ladies of the left. Candidates. Yeah, Hashtag. ladies of the left. There you go. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I just I'm I'm just uh, I'm I'm positing the question as an open ended one. Not, well, Terrence, can I ask you? Are you yeah. running? Are you running as a Democrat? Uh, no, I'm running as an independent. Ooh la la. Okay. How how are you being received? Oh, who else is in the in the mix? Who else is in your race? There's there's only one Republican uh, in the race. That's the only other person in the race. Um, they're an incumbent that's been in office for 27 years, has run mm. unopposed for 17 of those years. Mm. Um, so that's the kind of landscape there. So is that there. part of your decision making that you obviously live in a district that has been happy with this Republican for a long time? So there's more gains to trade to be had in identifying as an independent? Yeah, I think it's both, you know, a personal and a strategic decision. Um, I've I've always been an identi- I, I've always identified as a an independent for as long as I can remember. Um, but I, it does also it ends up being pretty fortuitous that um, you know I'm running in a uh, you know district that has uh, elected a Republican for that long. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way I see it is generally like they're they're just uh, we have a, an, an engaged um district i'd say politically they're they're interested in you know actually vetting their candidates and seeing what they're there for which is uh rare for for a state senate campaign i'd say oh well that's good to hear good luck to you say your um your whole name again so people who are interested can weigh in and support and such oh sure yeah it's terrence cudney um i'm on twitter at cudney the number four m-a-c-u-d-n-e-y four m-a Okay, perfect. But uh, I mean, it, thanks for taking the call. I appreciate it. No, I, I'm, I'm always, I'm like, I can sit here and kind of needle, needle you because I have some, I, like, I, there's a part Please of me that like, me. doesn't even know where to start with a race like Morgan's. And I said this a little on the podcast, like, okay, I understand we've been talking a lot about like these um, congressional races, particularly for the House. And we've been talking about how you win. Like after 2018, there was so much discourse about strategically how you win. And it has to do with these dense areas where you can do door knocking and increase turnout and you can win a primary with a relatively few votes. And then it's a blue state. So once you win the primary, the rest is over. And like, that's a path that many people have taken a congressional, like, like a Senate race. I can't even like, what is the, what is the plan? Like, and I, that I can't blows my mind. A state race, it seems to be more akin to these uh, house races that we have been following, except, you know, small, a smaller voter pool, but also the absence of those kind of national hooks like ASC was able to get with that first viral commercial. And so I'm curious about the dynamics of how you are able to, how, how do you go about unseating a, what did you say? Twenty-year incumbent. Twenty-seven. Yeah, 27, uh, give or take. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how yeah, old is this person? <laughs> um, he's actually uh, on the youngish side. I'd say forties, uh, fifties. Uh, okay. Yeah, I say youngish, but you know, <laughs> he just really got in there. He was what's the guy's name from Parks and Recreation? Ben Wyatt. Wyatt. 
Is that his name? Oh, Ben Wyatt. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was, he was a total Ben Wyatt, but he actually got to stay in office. My, my partner and I are actually rewatching Parks and Rec right now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely love it. But yeah, okay. so to your question mm-hmm. about, um, uh, you know, running this race and the, the, the dynamic there. Yeah, I think it is more similar to a, um, uh, a House of Representatives, U.S. House of Representatives race. Um, my, my district is pretty rural, um, all told. Uh, the, the largest um, city in our district, is, which happens to be where I live, is uh, Gloucester. And it's a city of about uh, 30,000 people. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's, it's tricky. It's tricky to get um, interest in the race. I think, you know, it's definitely going to be a name recognition race. Um, this guy basically has 100% name recognition because he's been mm-hmm. there for so long. Um, so really, it's just, you know, getting out my name as, as much as I can to as many people as I can, to having many con- as many conversations as I can. And um, to be honest, I, I actually don't know that door knocking is going to work very well for my campaign. Oh, um, I'm going to I'm going to be more, well, it, it, it's a little intuition, um, mm-hmm. but it's, it's also a sense that um, the people that uh, want to engage with politics, like I say, I think it is a pretty politically engaged um, district, they will. Uh, I don't want to say find you, but I think con- congregating in more like public areas, like I, I plan to be in a lot of, you know, bars, pubs, that sort of thing, uh, grocery stores. Um, and I see that as more like, a, you know, uh, finding those those places where people can meet me if they want to kind of mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just, yeah, it's, it's an intuition about the district um, that's a little difficult to explain, but that's kind of how I'm approaching it. Well, good luck to you, Terrence, and I hope some listeners who may or may not be in northern Massachusetts get hip to you. Consider uh, going and supporting you and waving a sign at a pub or a farmer's market. Maybe a pub. That sounds like <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Thanks, Brianna. Yeah, I just, just want to say Case Study yeah. QB, I don't know if you know him. Yeah, you probably know of Case course. Study QB. Um, he uh, said he lost his spot in the queue, so he just wanted to, me to let you know. He, he doesn't think you'll get to him, but he'll try and Let's get on the next case. show, but he just wanted to let you know you lost your spot i didn't even see you back there case all right thanks for flagging terrence no worries thank you so much brianna have a good one you too all right l douche <laughs> you're up next unmute yourself and let me know what's going on. hi brianna how you doing i'm doing quite well this evening and yourself i'm doing great um first time caller so excited i made it this time <laughs> well, I'm, I was I'm excited kind of been... for you yeah. <laughs> and congrats on your apartment too. Um I know it's an exciting time. Um Thank you. I'm so, a real girl. I'm a I'm a grown up woman now. <laughs> Great. Um so I'm gonna use a lot of labels and um I apologize ahead of time. And the reason why I wanna use labels is just because I'm about to what I'm gonna talk about just might be best understood with labels, even though labels might you know, labels sometimes are unnecessary or they just might not fully explain people's beliefs. Um, but first of all, what I wanted to say is I did love the call with Morgan. Hmm. I think Morgan, Morgan has a great potential to actually win. And based on what I heard, um, again, it's just coming from someone who um, I believe a lot of times um, people don't focus on who, can, who would come out to vote. And especially for um, candidates who are going to stand as Democrats, if they know um, the black um, community, 
is usually what gets Democrats um, pushed to win, as we've seen in a, in a lot of races. Why don't you talk to their needs? Why don't you speak to their needs? It doesn't necessarily have to ostracize um, the other population because whatever is going to help Black Americans for sure is going to help um, other communities as well. But I like that she kind of hinted, hinted on it because I feel mm-hmm. sometimes it's um, a sector that um, people running as Democrats lose focus on just because. And then, you know, if you don't speak to the African-American community, they wouldn't show up. It's proved a thousand times. So mm-hmm. I like that she realized that um, portion of a strategy. So, um, but I wanted to move a little bit and talk about something that you um, focused on a few weeks ago regarding PMCs and liberals. Mm -hmm. Um, Am I okay to go in that direction? Yeah, totally. Okay, awesome. So um, just to put all cards on the table, I'm a liberal. Mm -hmm. So I am not, I don't want to say I'm not a leftist because this is when I'm going to use labels that sometimes labels might not Mm -hmm. clearly define where I stand. However, I've taken about three of those political tests to see which where I stand on whatever quadrant, and it always says I'm a liberal for some reason. So mm. I'm like, okay, I guess I'm a liberal. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I also happen to be in the PMC um, class. And one thing, and I listen, listen to a lot of you, I listen to Breaking Points, Kyle Kalinsky, I listen to my Tahibi, Glenn, Green, Glenn Greenwald. I mm-hmm. sometimes agree with certain sentiments, I sometimes disagree. But I do mm-hmm. like listening to um, this content. And what sometimes I find confusing, or maybe I might need some better clarity, is does the left feel a stronger alignment with the populist right as compared to the liberal PMC class like myself? Because usually when I'm listening to um, these conversations, a lot, a lot of times, whatever the case might be, I'm not going to say liberal PMCs, we are, um, you know, we need some hand-holding, but usually we are the, you know, we are the ones that everybody dunks on and everybody seems to (laughs) not want to attract for some reason. But I always wonder why is that the case? Because a lot of times I support the courses that left candidates or leftists do support. So I just find it intriguing. I just wanted to speak to someone who might either have a philosophical perspective as to why that is the case or what I just might be me reading a lot more into something that doesn't exist. No, it's a, it's a good question. And I appreciate you calling in with it. I, I wouldn't say that leftists are more aligned with the kind of populist right than they are liberals. I would describe it as being equally disaligned with both. Okay. <laughs> um, and sometimes leftists get frustrated because um, some liberals will make an accusation um, that le- leftists are kind of conservatives in disguise, and they use this term horseshoe theory to describe the idea that if you go so far left, you hook back around and you end up being a right winger. And the reason they're able to say that is because there are certain kind of frustrations with the establishment that is shared by the extremes, right? There is a Republican establishment, a Democratic establishment. And so some of the critiques that are made by both the far right and the far left will overlap in terms of being frustrated that their candidates will be locked out of the process through anti-democratic means, that there is 
blowback from the party that there are too many, you know, money in politics means that only rich people who take money from special interests are able to get into office, whereas the people who more accurately represent the interests of the people aren't able to and so forth and so on. And so they'll take any similarity, like Bernie, for example, saying that he's, you know, an outsider or an anti-establishment figure to say, oh, you're basically saying the same thing as Trump. You know, you're just like Trump. Like, why would you disavow Trump? Oh, you critique the media, so did Trump. You're just like Trump, you know? Um, Now, you're taking these tests that are telling you a liberal. I got to say, I got to say, L, I'm skeptical. (laughs) Because the reason why so many people on the left don't like liberals isn't because they're kind of like passively living their lives and maybe you just kind of like disagree a little bit about stuff. Oh, I'm not that far left. But like, we're all just kind of playing in our lane. I think the reason that there's so much frustration about liberals is because in many respects, it's liberals that present themselves as the biggest obstacle to the left agenda, because there's no expectation that conservatives are going to vote for progressive policies, but liberals often, and I have my biases, so feel free to push back against me if you'd like out. Okay. Liberals like to say things like, I love you know, black people and poor people and gay people. And I want everyone to have a house and everybody to be nice and get together and hold hands and sing Kumbaya. But when push comes to shove in the dating booth, sorry, dating booth, Freudian, (laughs) wrong episode. (laughs) In the voting booth, um, they will vote for, you know, people like Biden who might say, Yes, I love to sit down at the fish fry, fish, fish fry with some black people. And, oh, I used to work at the integrated swimming pool. And the black kids used to feel my leg hair and other such charming anecdotes that show his affinity for the black race. Mm, okay, uh, in okay. reality, he sits there and he votes for the crime bill and slashing the social safety net. And all of these things that Republicans only wish they could do in their wildest dreams, liberals get away with doing because they're liberal and they get this cover. And when okay, it comes okay. to someone like Bernie or whomever running for office – the obstacle isn't Republicans, many of whom, many conservatives said they would have voted happily for Bernie over Hillary Clinton. The obstacle okay. is the Hillary Clinton, who spends all her time saying meaner things about Bernie than Trump ever did. Right? Okay, okay. And so that's okay. why there's so much ire focused on liberals, because they are obstructing the goals of the left at the same time that they purport to share those goals. And there seems like there's something really underhanded about that. So would you consider it as um like liberals oh my gosh again these words so whatever (laughs) i am you know it says i'm a liberal and i sometimes understand why some some of these um pushing me into the liberal world because i do support all like most left policies like i do Mm -hmm. support a 15 minute 15 minimum 15 dollar minimum wage i do support um well honey that's a liberal policy ostensibly even biden ran on a 15 dollar minimum wage yeah, so, so that's it, a, so, so exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So that's a liberal policy. So, I, like for example, maybe where I might not be a leftist is, for example, when the gentleman who just who called a, a little bit ago and said that all housing should be free, I'll be like, oh, well, wait a minute, hold up, hold up. <laughs> I, <laughs> and that's when I would be, um, I would push back. But it doesn't even mean that I want everyone to pay ridiculous prices for rent, I just sometimes feel like, okay, some people um, have rentals and they are not um, oppressive or repressive um, 
um, landlords that sometimes they generate income through it. So I'm like, okay, cool. I see that. However, if subsidized housing that is taken care of by the state, I'm not opposed to it. I am. Um, so maybe that is why it pushes me more towards the liberals. But well, let me you, ask you this, because I'm yeah. fascinated by this and I don't often get people calling in who I love talking to liberals. I think that's where the whole fight is. And <laughs> I, it frustrates me because they don't always love talking to me. So I just, I want to ask you about this. Do you, you support subsidized housing? And yes, I, assume I do support that's subsidized because, housing. Yeah. So I, I free housing because, even. Okay. Wait, but so you do support free housing. Yes. I support free housing, but not every, like, for example, I, if someone does not, um, cannot pay for living expenses. The government, we, the government seems to have a ton of money. I'm mm-hmm. not opposed to the government paying for whoever that individual is so they mm-hmm. can have a place to stay. I feel like in this country, there should be no homeless people. Mm-hmm. However, for, for someone like me, I don't mind paying um, more to have my own place to stay. So, so, so I want Ellie, to you're not saying anything different. Ellie, you're a leftist, my friend. Come on board. Look, look, it's, it's the same thing. It's, it's like, it's, it's a harder example with housing because we haven't had as um, robust a discourse about what that looks like. But let's talk about it in a Medicare for all context. Even in a, in a country with socialized, you know, hashtag socialized healthcare, so you, you can always ahead, pay more. I do agree with Medicare for all. No, no, I no, no but I'm, I'm just using it as an analogy though, if you will allow okay. me out. Even okay. in a country with, with so-called, you know, with Medicare for all, with a, with a national healthcare system or socialized Medicare med- medicine, you can always pay more for extra. You okay. can always pay more for additional services. Like, okay. and, and often it's like plastic surgery, other things that aren't covered because they're cosmetic. You can always pay more. So it, you're saying like, I would be willing to pay, you know, for a nicer place to live. Shoot your shot, my friend. Like no one's <laughs> stopping you. Like it's not that you have to live in this Bolshevik gulag housing that the government paid for you. No, but the, the, the principle, I think that you're, what you're saying is that we share that, right? That, People who cannot afford, there should be a basic standard of living that is not, that is frankly much higher than what our current um, social housing is like, Section 8 yeah. housing, subsidized housing, that it sh- every every human being in the richest country in the history of the world should be have healthy, safe uh, housing that supports their mental well-being. I got to say, as I'm staring at this fresh kitchen, mental well-being that's provided by having a nice, clean, airy living space <laughs> is paramount. And if you want to, if you, you, if you really want that, you know, Park Slope brownstone, maybe that's out of the government's budget and that's what you're on your own. But I don't think yeah. that we're saying anything different. And I think, L, that you need to internalize okay. the reality that you are, in fact, not a liberal, but a leftist. Welcome to the Okay. Party, so, like, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not, um, I, I'm, you know, I'm not on this, um, like, I don't want to be a leftist. I don't, I'm just going off like a... <laughs> I took those tests multiple times. I'm like, it says I'm a liberal. What tests like, are these? Okay. Some liberal came up with these tests. This I took is, the one is that is by... Centrist um... indoctrination, L. <laughs> That's funny. But again, but all my friends would be considered liberals, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and they somewhat share these like principles. So that is why sometimes when I see... Because I feel like something that's a caricature, caricature made of 
quote unquote liberals. There's maybe people who are not as progressive. Mm-hmm. However, when I ask them, because um, I do listen to all um, your show and all these leftist shows, I sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes just, you know, we, when me and my friends are chatting, and the reason why they might be liberals is because they work in some of these companies that are considered the big bad wolves, you know, in, in investment banking and consulting and stuff like that. But when I ask them, like, hey, you know, what you just asked me, all of them have similar agreements. And um, a good portion of them actually don't even mind paying considerable, maybe not 50%, but they'll say, hey, you know, I don't mind if a good percentage of my taxes is going towards, um, you know, getting rid of um, homeless people, you know, um, companies pay <laughs> get rid a of lot them. of money. <laughs> said, no, get Put them in of, the like, stockade. Get rid of, uh, of homelessness, you know. Yeah, um, I know what you mean. I'm originally from Ghana, as you can tell mm-hmm. from my accent. And in Ghana, um, you know, I feel like, cons- 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 considering where I'm from, this country should not have homeless people. Like, it's just mm-hmm. ridiculous. There's just too much money within the system mm-hmm. and that it should not be a thing, you know? So, mm-hmm. and a lot of my quote unquote liberal friends share these principles. So sometimes I'm like, wait a minute, like why don't quote unquote leftists or what, you know, again, back to these terms, but why people who are always dunking on quote unquote liberals, Hey, you have these guys who are going to vote for you regardless. Why don't you get them on board as compared to now having to, you know, bring this whole, which, fine because i feel like if you can convert republicans right populists mm-hmm. you know find common ground build a coalition but sometimes i'm like there is a coalition right next to you that you can get them closer to you yeah. but again well, i i think that you, you were singing my song let me just let you know you're singing my song and i am a bit unique among the left for having more confidence in the power to flip pmc liberals than others and maybe that's my own PMC liberal roots showing and my own biases <laughs> that make me not want to leave my family and friends behind <laughs> as we ascend to new lefty heights. Like I'm with oh. you, but I, I also want to just point out that there is a reason why so many people have abandoned that project. Okay. And it is because there is already a script and an appetite for a certain kind of anti-establishment politics on the right. And it is the it is the case. It's like somehow like you know how your 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 parents and your siblings can get under your skin the way that nobody else can because they're yeah. so close to you. I think a little bit that's the psychological dynamic that happens with liberals where like if I enter into a conversation with a conservative, I have no expectations from them, like none. Okay. And to okay. the extent that they're like, well, you know, my wife had breast cancer and it bankrupted us, so I'd be open to Bernie and also I hate Hillary. You know what? I love Medicare for all and also hate Hillary Clinton, and that feels like enough. Okay, Whereas if it. I'm talking to a liberal, you know, it's 115 reasons why they can't vote for Bernie Sanders because he's just not smart enough and he didn't start the <laughs> CSPB like Elizabeth Warren and she's read all the books and he talks in a gruff voice and it's just like dumb asinine stuff and they purport to care about the issues. And not once okay. will they bring up Medicare. They'll, they'll tell you what a million books they read that explain to you why we in America just can't have universal health care and it just so happens that I work for Pfizer. You know, like it, 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 it's, it, it, and it is, it is angry making in a different way. And if a Republican is like, Bernie seems kind of cool, but I like Trump. There's not that same level of emotional investment because it's like he was a long shot. You know, they were a long shot anyway. And Got so I'm not it. saying okay. it makes sense, but I think psychologically that's what's happening. 
And, it, okay. and, okay. and in addition, it just you don't need the Republicans to win the Democratic primary. Bernie did not become president because of Republicans. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, at this yeah. stage in our like nascent growth as a movement, it also just feels like I, the, the, that battle with Republicans hasn't even happened yet. What's holding us back okay. is liberals, which is why I do not believe <laughs> L. L, like search deep within. I just don't think that you should be putting – I don't care what this BuzzFeed queen told you, BuzzFeed um, test told you. No, it wasn't BuzzFeed. It was um, this thing. Was it Mother I'm Jones? Is Mother Jones trying to convince you that you're a liberal? Don't no, trust no, Mother no, Jones, No, not Mother Jones. It's one, it's one of the, the, these DC think tanks. Oh, one of the uh, DC, did the Brookings Institute tell you were a not liberal? Brookings. Not broken, not broken. Did I forgot, Cap no tell you were a liberal? Uh, I've forgotten. Anyway, I, it's one of these <laughs> that everybody uses from like, you know, when you're referring to data. I've forgotten what the, ah, if I think about it, I'll remember it. But one thing before I go, just because I want to respect other people on the line, um, mm-hmm. I just wanted to mention this again. Everyone um, gets to decide. I know um, leftists have feel burned um, mm-hmm. and they have good reasons too. Um, I just want to share like a personal perspective as mm. to why to me voting is always going to be very important. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I'm an immigrant. I've been in the United States for a little about a decade and a half. It took me close to a decade to become a citizen. So mm-hmm. since I became a citizen, I said I'm never going to not vote again because um, for almost a decade, people made decisions for me from a local level because people would vote for issues that I don't subscribe to believe in. But since then, since when I got my citizenship that now I can vote and let my voice be heard, I know, so what, how I look at it is someone is going to win. You know, mm-hmm. um, it might be the lesser of two evils that I know leftists hate that concept totally, but if there are two people on the ballot, I'm going to pick one to vote for. I'm going to research what they stand for. I live in Atlanta, so for example, we voted for Atlanta like mayor and some of these other races. Mm-hmm. I don't know a single person because for some reason no one did a good job enough to reach out to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I took my time, which took me about an hour, to research people's platforms and pick someone, even all of them were Democrats, you know, but, you know, Democrats and different variances, to mm-hmm. figure out who might be the best aligned to what I care about. And I think it's something that um, people should take voting a little bit. Um, I'm a little bit more passionate about voting just because it's a right that I, a privilege that I got recently that I feel like, um, leftists and people should not um, let other people make decisions for them because if you don't vote, someone else is going to make a decision for you and your community. Yeah, I mean, I I really respect that point of view, and I think I think it's 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 difficult because there are competing interests here, and a lot of folks. It's not that they don't want to vote, but it's that they feel like that very sincere privilege that you've articulated has been weaponized against them in furtherance of a corporate duopoly that is fundamentally not serving their interest at all. And that in some ways the respect of voting has been weaponized against the public as a way to make, to, to kind of, enshrine this idea that we still are having choices when our political choices are no longer reflected among our elected officials. And that by not voting or by voting third party, what they're expressing is in fact a value for the principle of voting that's no longer being respected by the fact of this captured political system. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I do. I, so I'm kind of, I kind of said in that because I, I understand um, the frustrations and I, I sometimes even understand the reason why someone would get up and say, I'm not going to vote because um, Americans, like from a data perspective, don't vote at all. And it's for a good reason because Americans are distrustful for the government and because the government has lied and done so much harm and everything. But I just come from more of an immigrant perspective just because yeah. um, I feel like a lot of times people don't know how hard it is to be an immigrant in this country. <laughs> like, especially when I feel like I watch Fox News and everybody thinks that you just walk into the country and you get to vote the next minute and get to make certain decisions. It takes a long time and, you know, with a lot of money and even with that, you still can be denied at the end of the day. So when I got that opportunity to me, it's like, um, I, I, I just have to maximize on it regardless of, you know, how sometimes the candidates might all not be worth, you know, what I'm trying to get done at the end of the day. But oh, I, I respect thanks. that, Al. May I ask where you live, what state you live in? Oh, I'm in Georgia. Oh, right. You uh, just said that. Okay. So you yeah, will not be yeah. voting for Morgan Harbor. I tried. Oh, but I <laughs> would be um, donating to her because I loved every part of the interview. I love her. Um, you know, I, anytime that I find someone who I'm interested in that I cannot do much for, I do donate because um, I feel like that's the least I can do. And I hope she gets traction and I hope she wins. And that is something that I liked it so much that I was like, my God. She might not be a leftist. They might not like her because she might now more be a liberal. <laughs> it's true. Look, look at the comments. There's a lot of that sort of feedback. So, guys, look, I, I, I really appreciate you calling it, L. I really okay. liked talking to you. I really think your perspective was good balance for, you know, all the comments that we've had tonight. This was a really great series of folks. It's been exactly two hours. I feel like this is a great place to wrap. So thank you, L. Thank you. Thank you. My apologies to everyone in line. We've done two hours. Normally, you know, we do this on Mondays. My apologies, all the moving, but I got to wake up early and do a rising hit and do two really banger interviews that are coming up. You guys, you guys, you guys are going to lose your mind. I'm so excited about these topics that we have coming up. I will give you a little bit of a hint because you got to, you got to throw some grist to the beasts here in, in this Colin landscape that we're in. One of them, I know a lot of you want to talk about Rogan and Whoopi tonight. It's Rogan Whoopi adjacent, but it's a kind of deeper philosophical conversation where we're bringing back two heavy hitters from Podcast Pass. They both have three-part names. It's a TCW and a BUS. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. And I'm also going to talk about this kind of viral piece that came out about all of the corruption that has happened in the Black Lives Matter movement. It's, it's going to be spicy. It's going to be good. So you have to let me go to sleep so I can wake up and prepare for all of those things and also do my rising hit. I appreciate you all. Remember that you can listen to our Monday episodes of Bad Faith Podcast by subscribing at patreon.com slash badfaithpodcast. You can also get full videos of all of those episodes. Please do subscribe to this here show because you know me, I changed the time of this like three times yesterday and I want you to keep up to date about when these things are happening because I'm not always the most organized hashtag poor executive function. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to be a new person now that I'm in this apartment though. I can already feel organization skills manifesting as I sit here. So subscribe to the show so that you can be up to date on when these things are happening. We're going to get back on schedule. They're going to be happening on Mondays and Thursdays, the same day bad faith podcast is released Please do help us out in the algorithm, even if you can't support the show financially, by liking the video, sharing them, subscribing to the show on YouTube, all of that jazz. Take care of yourselves. Good night. And as always, 
please keep the faith. pilot in a podcast wish i had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars scats i wish i had a million dollars i wish i had a million albums i wish i had a million problems that way i couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes i wish i found a genie lamp i wish them girls gave me them sugar like beating man yeah i wish i was a comedian a late night sitcom syndicated on tv land i wish this well had water in it These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish the help is like, it's like. I wish, I wish, that every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, that every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish.